Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello, once again, this is Michael Adams, Nothing But The Truth. It's March 12th, 2015. And we're going to do, I think it's part 11 now, of a Roman Catholic Islam connection. And uh, before we get started, address a few issues, not major ones, really. Uh, someone who's been listening to the show someone that I admire a lot, uh, uh, sent me an email, and he said this, I am listening to your latest show. If you want to know the ins and outs of the homosexuality in Nazi Germany, read the book, The Pink Swastika. It is a phenomenal, great read. It explains exactly why homosexuals and the Nazi party targeted homosexuals in the intelligentsia, there were and always are two types of male homosexuals, or sodomites, as we say in the Bible. As the book calls them, there are the butches and the femmes. The butches were the ancient Greek Roman emperors who had little boy lovers, which is disgusting. And that ties in with, you know, pedophilia in the Roman Catholic Church now, doesn't it? <laughs> and that's been going on as far as the Roman Empire since it's, since it's apparently it's just a, almost a foundation, huh? Or maybe at its foundation. Uh, the butches are the ones who wear lots of leather and act tough. The butches are, are all of the high-ranking Nazis. Uh, which makes you think about the uh, the government here in the United States of America and how many of them in government and in high-ranking positions are the butches. Just my own personal comment there. Uh, the femmes are the lip, limp-wrist males who act sissious and effeminate. Those were and usually are the intelligentsia and those two... Homo, homo groups, or uh, I would say sodomites, typically don't like each other. <clears throat> so the myth that there was a holocaust against the homos, uh, <laughs> it's funny to me, I'm sorry, but it's, it's just we say sodomites. Uh, in Nazi Germany, it's only half the story at most. The reality was, it was an uh, inter, uh, how do you pronounce this, an inter- I don't know how to pronounce that. Inter Nessian War. That's N, excuse me, I N T E R N I C I N. I think it's Inter Nessian War between one group of uh, satellites versus another. Kind of like how the totalitarian Jesuitical Jesuitical side of Roman Catholic Church likes to massacre the progressive liberal Catholics whenever they can. 
And of course, that would be a fine example, oh, a fine example, and just one, and not even a very significant one, but uh, still significant in itself, especially for those who went through it uh, in Argentina with uh, what happened with the Junta there in the 70s, and of course, Pope Francis and his previous role uh, as a provincial there uh, was involved with all that genocide and the murder and torture and basically an inquisition uh, for progressive liberal Catholics. And, uh, yeah, and, and so, yeah, yeah, we go back to this whole thing, what I brought up that as far as uh, <clears throat> that, uh, this is, you know, this whole gay agenda marriage thing that I feel part of it, the why they're so pro about doing it right now, really progressive, progressive, that's not the right word, but really pushing it is because I think that there is a hidden sinister agenda behind it, and that is to track the the side of my community, and there will be another calling, if you will, um, the more uh, intelligentsia, I guess, homosexual variety, the, the limp risk ones, as you will. Um, you know, I might be wrong, but history tells me that this seems to be a pattern. So, anyways, I really appreciate the fact that you're listening. Uh, of course, I'll keep your name anonymous. Uh, uh, and um, I really appreciate you sending me an email and comments. And uh, I. Uh, would like to post my email via the show, and maybe I will at some point, but uh, with all the attacks going on and all that, I, right now I just think it's probably not a wise idea. But certainly anybody who wants me to contact them and they demonstrate that they are thoughtful, they are thinking, they recognize what's really going on, and they enter that in the chat room, I am more than willing to respond to the email. I'm willing to wish back. Now, the other thing is, um, uh, I, you know, I still consider my brother and Timmy. They're still in the same fight. We're still fighting against the Antichrist in the Roman system. And, you know, as disappointed as I am that they just fail shut me over such a, what turns out to be, in my opinion, still is at this point, a petty issue. Of disagreement. <clears throat> well, anyways, uh, the guys who were on the show previous, you know, uh, Yerk Lissman and Walt Stickle and uh, Tom Fresh, well, they started a new show on Talk Shoe called Hour of the Truth. Uh, Hour of Truth, excuse me, Hour of Truth. And I think they just had their. I know they had their debut show today at 2 p.m. So you can go over there and check that out if you feel like it. I did tell them that I'd keep on supporting them and their work, and just because of how basically in the end truth is how I was treated, it was wrong what happened. Um, I'm still going to support them because in the end they we think about the bigger picture, and the bigger picture is it's more than just Mike Adams and um, what has happened to me, but um, the fact that. Um, if we are going to be a uh, stand-up for the truth, if we're going to stand for God and for Christ, our Lord and Savior, then um, 
we need to uh, support each other, especially if there are anybody who's willing to actually uh, stand up to this uh, oppressive, satanic system called the Roman Catholic Church, the Papal Roman Catholic Church. Um, we have to support each other because ultimately in the day, this institution and that's, you know, that is global with all its many tentacles is the one who's really causing all our, our problems and oppression. And so, and you know, once again, we got the, the, uh, the son of perdition, um, the biblical historical representative of the Antichrist in the papacy, the papal papal Rome, and that, the papal Roman Church is coming to address uh, this country with the joint session of Congress, and then going over and addressing the UN. And we really do need to talk about this. Somebody needs to talk about this. Somebody with a voice needs to talk about this, even if it's just others, just to forewarn them of what the real battle is. It's, it's always been, and this is substantiated not only through the Bible, but through history. History is it's overwhelming. And, of course, we this show right now, as far as series that we're dealing with, is the connection between Islam and the um, Church of the, the Roman Church. Let me close out of this. Uh, let's see, where am I at? Yeah, we got that. Okay. And so uh, there's there's a lot of uh, decent people in the Muslim faith that are being duped, just like the rest of us. And they need to be told the truth of what's happened to them, what's going on. And I know this, you know, the topic that I'm bringing up is not going to make me like bad at all. And if you knew how precarious my situation is by doing this, you'd be asking yourself, well, why are you doing this? Aren't you worried about what might happen to you? And, you know... Uh, not really. <laughs> to be honest with you, at this point, uh, I know there's some people that are very close to me that are Muslim. There's very there's people very close to me that are Roman Catholic, and I'm not at war with them. Although they might perceive that to be, I know I'm at war at the deception that they and the rest of us are under. And you know, somebody needs to hear the the truth. And whether that causes me a lot more grief down the road than I already am experiencing, I, I, what am I supposed to do? You, do I act like an ostrich and hide my head in the sand, or do I do I really have faith in Jesus Christ? And if I do, if really, then what does a man do? A man stands up for him, his truth, and uh, exposes the deception, the lies, and deceit that's out there that's causing so many of us not to know the truth, his truth. Uh, and I don't know what else to do. So I actually care. So I don't know what else to do. So, you know, so what I'm going to do is we're going to play another video. It's about, so, I don't know, seven, eight minutes. And it's the third part of the rise of Islam and Muhammad. It, uh, about the fifth Trump, uh, Bible and or traditions, and hopefully we don't have any computer glitches. 
And then we get done, we're going to start reading this Allah, the Moon God. And then in the future, I think we're going to be dealing with some, uh, since we know we've talked a lot about Alberta Rivera and, and, and we've been connecting the dots between Islam and Roman Catholicism. And what I was thinking of doing is actually maybe the next show playing a video and uh, let me, before we get ready to get going, but it won't be today because this video is about 50 minutes long. And, um, but this is a gentleman that many may know, and it would probably go along with, uh, was it Walid uh, Shabbat and his deception and, I really think it's it's all part of this story, and I think we should probably talk about that. But uh, um, Reverend William uh, Feder Feder uh, yeah, he's he's been out on tour for quite a while, I guess now, and he's he's done videos and all that about the real truth of Islam. And I think it would be very important, I'll go into more when we, when we actually talk about it, but he's a fine example of what I consider is Jesuit sophistry. This man, first of all, his background, I believe, is his um, is it his grandfather or father. I have to look more into it, the obituary of William uh, Federer. Um, he was a Jesuit priest. They all came out of St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, um Reverend William Federer, that most people probably know something about on YouTube, is married to Mary Kay Federer, and she went to uh, Jesu, a Jesuit high school. Uh, Reverend Bill Federer uh, was a kid of uh, the fifth of 11 kids. Um, He ended up going to college uh, part of his time there in Rome in Italy. Uh, he was a supporter of the Manhattan Doctrine, which is a pro-Catholic doctrine and pro-ecumenical movement thing. Of you know, um, and he does a masterful job <clears throat> of trying to convince people that well, Catholicism is first of all is Christianity. In this um, video and that the war, you know, trying to gain sympathy, you know, tying in Roman Catholicism with with, uh, biblical Christianity and trying to gain our sympathy for Roman Catholics. Um, You know, you start putting a few of the pieces together, you start to realize this man, if he's not a Jesuit, he's a coadjutor most likely. Uh, whether he's conscious of that or not, I don't know. Um, I think a lot of people who are in his situation probably aren't because of the influence of family members around him. <clears throat> and I'm just being generous and giving him the benefit of the doubt. <clears throat> but uh, I, it's hard to believe at this point that the man doesn't know what he's doing and why he's doing it. But I think it would be an interesting study. I just want to know anybody ahead of time if, if we do that next time, be part 13. And it's not about promoting this man and his point of views, but since we've the stuff that we've learned so far, my hope is is that we can start applying some critical thinking. We can listen to what this man says. We can say, okay, <clears throat> we found somebody with, with the, some credible 
background that's explained to us the connection between Islam and the Roman Catholics, how come this man's not bringing this up? Why is he so pro-Catholic? What is his true agenda? And, of course, this is all coming out at a time <clears throat> since 9-11 and trying to really push this uh, bogus war. I mean, I don't like the word bogus war because, it, you know, it's not, it doesn't show justice that people are suffering in it, dying in it, fighting in it. But it is based on a lie, a deception, of, and... Um, so, you know, and there's uh, some kind of attempt, a final resolution, some kind of finality, finale that uh, they seem to be trying to start. I don't <clears throat> Will they accomplish it? I, I don't believe they will. I don't think God's going to let them. I think these two or main religions are the religious, political, economic, uh, military institu- institutions that mean Islam and and Roman Catholicism are going to fight to the bitter end. The problem then, of course, is for all of us who are not members of these organizations, especially biblical Christians who have been have died by the millions at the hands of both sides, and, uh, you know, that we're going to have to suffer a heck of a lot more. There is no reprieve, and um, unfortunately, these types of groups, they... Uh, and they are not respecters of life, and so not only do they kill, say, biblical Christians or Jews, or but they kill each, their own people. And then, we, of course, we see that in ISIS and what's going on in the Middle East and the Muslims against Muslims being backed up and propped up by Rome itself. And Rome is guilty of the same thing. And Argentina is a fine example. I mean, they most of the people that they end up killing. 30 to 40,000 and of course there's no way to accurately count the number of how many actually were killed unfortunately because a lot of us you know what nobody you know something would happen say to me you know how many people are going to stand up and do anything about it? don't know what's going to do and so what do you do about that you can't do anything about that but you know there's a lot of people that just won't be known uh, but the point being is these institutions, these religious, false religions, have no problem killing other people who don't fall in line, even if they profess to be of the same faith. And I am not trying to be a jerk here. That's just the way it is. Uh, once again, I'll say it, and I keep on saying there are very good Roman Catholics and very good, um, and I feel bad about saying it because I feel like I'm mocking God there. I don't like that. i got to figure out a better word. One of these days I will figure out, but they're decent people. They're, um, there's uh, people trying to do the right thing. There's people that are Muslim and who are uh, Roman Catholic that are not part of this whole insanity except for being actually victims of it all, even probably the more, even more victims than the rest of us because of uh, being blinded by their faith and being blinded by the deception of the leadership and all that, so... Anyways, we're going to try to make this happen. Hopefully, this cross for fingers, whatever it is. I guess that doesn't really matter. Uh, let's just hope that uh, this video uh, plays out. It is worth to listen to, and then we'll get on to this Allah, the moon god thing, and then we'll go from there. I had no idea what I was getting myself into with this uh, Roman Catholicism slash Islam connection. And uh, I'm telling you folks, even the things that I've shared with you so far in truth, 
I'm just scratching the surface. I'm really not really... I mean, literally, I, uh, it's clear that there's going to be many, many, many uh, lengthy books <laughs> written, and probably already has been, but I'm just limited in, uh, in my time in doing research on it to, um, to discover them all. But, I mean, I mean, we're talking a thousand since, what, uh, 600 A.D.? So now we're talking 1,400 years of history. That's a heck of a lot of history going on between these two groups. And I can just imagine the volumes and volumes of books that are actually written and they're somewhere stored about this seemingly eternal war between these two groups. Uh, the fall, you know, the Roman Catholicism, which is not Christianity, it's flat out Roman paganism at its core. And then you have this uh, Arabic Islamic paganism called Islam, and how these two have been at war for each other for, and at each other's throats forever. Yes, there's been reprieves, and yes, there's been times when there's things quiet, but it always seems to raise its head. And it's either one side or the other that uh, starts all over again, and here we are witnessing history repeating itself. So, anyways. <clears throat> Once again, good luck to Yurk at his new show, uh, and uh, and Tom Press and Walt, what they're doing. You know, at the end of the day, we really aren't the enemies of each other. And uh, you know, anytime they want to man up and say, "I'm sorry, I'm I'll be on board again," so. But I don't control anybody, and therefore I'm not going to force anybody to do anything they don't want to do. And if it comes down to something as simple as about Revelations 13 and what it's talking about, a man's got to make a stance. Either it means he loses everything. Uh, and since I've lost so much as it is, I don't feel like I've lost too much now. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, anyways. God bless them and good luck in their work. And hopefully all the glory goes to God. And let's go. Let's try to make this happen. And it says in Revelation chapter 9, verse 9, And they had breastplates, as it were breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. The Arab cavalry were among the first to wear armor plating or chain mail when they went into battle. And Muhammad declared that in the Quran, that God has given you coats of mail to defend you in your wars. So this is a really good description of the locusts. Now let us come down a little bit further. Because the locusts were given a commission, what they could do, what they couldn't do, and how long they could do it for. And they were commanded that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing nor tree, but only the men who did not have the seal of God on their forehead. They raged right on through the Middle East, and they did a lot of damage. But the one thing they never did was harm the vegetation. They never cut down the trees, nor vines, nor did they scorch the earth. And that's usually what happens in war. When a war usually comes through, everything was burned and laid waste. But Muhammad actually declared them not to harm the trees or the fields. So what did that mean? It meant they went right on through the place and defeated professing Christendom. But they did not destroy the towns. They didn't destroy the farms and vineyards. They took them over, and they made the area wealthy and prosperous. And then it says, And to them was given 
that they should not kill them, but that they should torment them five months. And their torment was like the torment of scorpions when it strikes a man. And in those days, men should seek death, but not find it, desire death, but it would flee from them. Now listen to what happened. They were not allowed to annihilate the apostate Christians. They gave them a choice. They could convert over and become Muslims, or they could be killed if they decided to challenge them, or they could live on as long as they agreed to be second-class citizens. They were required to wear a particular distinctive garb to show they were professing Christians and pay a tribute or a yearly tax. If a Muslim came to the door, they had to bring them in and set food and refreshments before them. The Christians were suffering, but understand they were not real Christians. They had just an outward form of idolatry, and they did not have the Spirit of God that caused them to accept martyrdom. They sought death, but couldn't find it, the prophecy says, because they had not the guts, they had not the nerve or the Holy Spirit determination. The early Christians had defied Rome, and they got burned alive and thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. They never flinched, and they accepted martyrdom. But this crowd had become so apostate that they lacked the determination. So it says they might have sought death, but they couldn't find it. And so the Arabs conquered everything at one point, from the north of India, right across through Persia, North Africa, Egypt, Spain, Portugal, and across the Pyrenees Mountains. And they were stopped in 732 A.D. at the Battle of Tours by the king of the Franks. During the ten years between 634 and 644, Muhammad's successor, the Caliph Omar, captured 36 cities, destroyed 4,000 churches, and built 1,400 mosques. And it took them 200 days to go from one extremity of the empire to the other, so great it became. This was the heyday of Arabian power the fifth and sixth trumpets. This is the day of the glory of the Mohammedan people. And let us not forget they did become a mighty and multitudinous people. They were famous for medicine, mathematics, and all sorts of things, while the rest of Christendom was suffering in the darkness of the papal dark ages. This was the glory period of the Saracen Arab Mohammedan Empire. However, God put a limit on them, and they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. And their power was to hurt men five months. The literal locusts today come out for a period of five months. They come out in April, and they go back to rest again in the month of September. It's true in the literal, and it is true in the symbolic as well. Because the Muslims came out every year to conquer and to wage war about the month of April, and they would fold up their tents and go home again at the end of September. Whatever booty they had gotten... They pocketed the gains and did not come out to fight again until the following April, exactly like the locusts do. Now, I'll show you something very interesting here. We know from Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 6, and Numbers chapter 14, verse 34, that a day in prophecy is equal to a year. Based on the lunar calendar of the Mohammedans, there were 30 days per month. Five months was a period of 150 days. 150 days in prophecy, is 150 years. The Muhammad advance began to run out of steam in 732 when they were defeated by Charles Martel at the Battle of Tours. They did not advance any further. They were turned back and their plans on conquering France and the rest of Europe were thwarted. They subsequently besieged the great city of Constantinople, the capital of Byzantium, in the Eastern Roman Empire, twice. Both sieges failed. They failed to capture the city. During this range of the period of Muhammad, there had been one supreme caliph or ruler. 
but in 750, they finally divided into the Eastern and Western Caliphate. Baghdad became the center of the Caliphate and the central authority for Islam at that time. Now let's do some calculations. In 612 AD, Muhammad proclaimed his mission and started his new religion of Islam. 150 years later, in 762, Baghdad became the capital of the Eastern Caliphate. In the year 632, when Muhammad died and the Arabs moved out of Arabia, conquering and to conquer, exactly 150 years later brings us to 782. In that very year, they signed the Treaty of Constantinople and a period of peace and rest was to descend upon the area. The Eastern Roman Empire, Byzantium, agreed to pay a financial tribute of gold, silver, and goods every year to the Caliph of Baghdad. A peace agreement had been reached, but the word of God says, One woe is past, and behold, there come two more woes hereafter. The hand of God in history inspired prophecy given unto John on the island of Patmos. Now, I personally do not think he understood what the visions meant or how they would be ultimately fulfilled, but John knew he had to record it for us. God says this is a record of what's going to come to pass, and it did just as God had said. History is pre-written, and all of it is in your Bible. If God is in charge of nations, then God is in charge of our lives as well. The Bible says, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are more valuable than many sparrows. God has it planned and all mapped out. If you've learned nothing else, learn that God is sovereign and He is in control. One woe is past. Alrighty. I think that's pretty cool myself. And then, of course, it goes on to the sixth trump. About to be sound. I think we already did that anyway, so I don't feel too bad about jumping around a little bit there. So much information taken, isn't there? And I understand that. I think it's really cool is uh, the fact that he's uh, did a masterful job of explaining, uh, especially when he talks about the locuses and all that kind of stuff. And you've heard so many futuristic things from so many other people. And it's nice to have something grounded in history, reality, that has actually really happened. And uh, yeah, so I think it's pretty cool. So, and it's really cool that you can find that in the Word of God. And naturally, that once again, the same argument as far as Rome goes, that it would be uh, very symbolic because there was another group that was uh, going to another front of you attack God's people. So you have two main ones, which would be Rome and then Islam, and then, of course, in that mix, if we're honest, it would be the Jews. So, I mean, the Jews, who did have, uh, especially those members of the synagogue of Satan, were and have been not too kind to biblical Christians over the years. And then, uh, 
I can say that only the phony fake Christians uh, reciprocated. Uh, my story, I'm sticking with it, so. Anyways, Allah, the moon god. Archaeology, the archaeology of the Middle East. The religion of Islam has a has its focus of worship, a deity by the name of Allah. Muslims claim that Allah in pre-Islamic times was the biblical god of the patriarchs, prophets, and apostles. The issue is thus one of continuity. What's Allah the biblical god or a pagan god in Arabia during the pre-Islamic times. Muslims claim of uh, continuity is essential to their attempt to convert Jews and Christians for if Allah is part of the flow of divine revelation in scripture then it is the next step in biblical religion. Thus, we should all become Muslims. But, on the other hand, if Allah was a pre-Islamic pagan deity, then its core claim is refuted. Religious claims often fall before the results of hard science such as archaeology. We can endlessly speculate about the past and go and dig it up and see what the evidence reveals. This is the only way to find out the truth concerning the origins of Allah. As we shall see, the hard evidence demonstrates that the god Allah was a pagan deity. In fact, was the moon god who was married to the moon goddess and the stars were his daughters. <clears throat> It's got a picture of the moon god, and it says, Note the crescent moon carved on his chest. <clears throat> I guess, you know, one of those things, you know, if we are talking about idolatry and paganism, why use such paganistic symbols like uh, the crescent moon? I know their hand, and we're talking about Roman Catholicism, the sun. Not with, a U, not with an O, but with a U. Makes one think. It always troubled me with all these Christian organizations why they're always using the sun as their symbol. And how that just never jived well with me. The disconnect was just profound, and of course now I understand that the roots of a lot of the false churches out there are are pagan, and sun worship is a big part of it. And that's just not my bigoted, biased, prejudiced opinion. Uh, There's plenty of evidence to support that. And so then it comes down to, you know, when people will say, well, what makes you different? What makes you think that what you believe in, Mike, is not the sun or the you? And, And, well... As I just shared earlier, it's 
the power of the Word of God is His prophetic power. It's truth. And no sun, whether you or a moon, could do that. And once again, you know, uh, try to present the argument, and I feel um, a persuasive argument at this point, that the Holy Bible, the Word of God, one that has not been tainted by the hands of the Jesuits, um, reveals that truth to us. And then we're in a, we're in a, a decision-making time, like I was a while back. Uh, what do I do? Um, either this is the greatest of greatest of deceptions, or it is actually the Word of God. And so I fell on my face and prayed about it. For earnestly, for probably one of a very, uh, I know it was how sincere it was. And through time, God is revealing the truth to me of his word. And the more and more I discover, the more and more I'm blown away. Anyways, let's get back to reading this. The reader must know that Islam, Judaism, and organized Christianity, so-called, all worship a trinity of gods. Archaeologists have uncovered temples of the moon god throughout the Middle East. By the way, this is from this is from BibleBelievers.org. It's like AU. Us must be Austria, Australia. So, from the mountains of Turkey to the blanks, the banks of the, the Nile, the most widespread religion in of the ancient world was the worship of the moon god. In the first literate civilization, the uh, Sumerians uh, have left us thousands of clay tablets in which they describe their religious beliefs as demonstrated by uh, uh, I'm going to say it's Joburn and Hall and Joburn uh, or Solburn one of the two it's S-J-O-B-E-R-G and Hall the ancient Sumerians worshipped a moon god who was called by many different names. Most popular names were Nana. There you go. That's with two... uh, That's N-A-N-N-A. Soon and Esimbarbar. His symbol was the crescent moon. Given the amount of artifacts concerning the worship of this moon god, it is clear that this was the dominant religion of Samaria. Samaria, excuse me. The cult of the moon god was the most popular religion throughout the ancient Mesopotamia. The Assyrians, Babylonians, and Akkadians, or Akkadians, took the word soon, and just say like a sue with an N end of it, soon, and transformed it into the word sin as their favorite name for the moon god. As Professor Potts pointed out, 
Sin is the name essentially uh, Sumerian in origin, which had been borrowed by the Semenites. <laughs> in ancient Syria and Cana, or Cana, um, the moon god Sin, and it's S-I-N, by the way, was usually represented by the moon in its crescent phase. At times, the full moon was placed inside the crescent moon to emphasize all the phases of the moon. I just want to interject here right now. When we look at stuff that worked like people like Trey Smith from... Uh, and his work, all these other guys that we've mentioned, names going with this uh, Wacky Wednesday Nephilim series, uh, they all have a lot, you know, not only that, but they got, I believe Pastor Hoggard also kind of suggests this as well, with his whole DNA thing, that he, his little spin on stuff. And I know people like uh, Pastor Hogger, and um, you know, it was a time I liked him too until I started using some my thinking and uh, critically analyzed it. But you know, here's a moment here too of, of critical thinking as far as Professor, our Professor um, Trey Smith, and like guys like Hogger. They always say that like, this uh, circle within the crescent has something to do with birth. And then it has something to do with the woman egg and about genetic splicing and all, all that stuff. Well, here we discover that that's what it really is. It's just simply the full moon inside the crescent moon. Let's check it out. Uh, and, of course, this emphasizes all the phases of the moon which makes the most logical sense because they were moon worshippers. The sun goddess was the wife of sin, and the stars were their daughters. For example, Istar was the daughter of sin. Uh, Sacrifices to the moon god are described in the past Shamra texts. In the Ugaritic uh, texts, the moon god was sometimes called uh, Kushu, Kushu, that's K U S U H. In Persia, as well as in Egypt, the moon god is depicted on the wall murals and on the heads of statues. He was the judge of men and gods. The Old Testament consistently rebuked the worship of the moon god. Deuteronomy uh, 4.19, 17.3, and 2 Kings 21.3 and 5 and 23.5 and Jeremiah 8.2 and 19.13 and Zephaniah 1.5, etc., when Israel fell into idolatry, it was usually the cult of the moon god, and which is ironic because you know you hear all the times from other folks they say it's the sun god. Hmm. 
But if the largest religion in the region was actually the worship of the moon god, it certainly would make more logical sense that it actually would be the moon god. As a matter of fact, everywhere in the ancient world, the symbol of the crescent moon can be found on seal impressions, uh, pottery, uh, amulets, amulets, clay tablets, uh, I guess with steels, I don't know if that is, um, cylinders, weights, earrings, necklaces, wall murals, etc. And Tel El Abedin, a copper calf was found with the crescent moon on its forehead. An idol with the body of a bull and the head of a man was has a crescent moon inlaid on its forehead with shells. And your the steel, that's S-T-E-L-E, uh, of uh, your Namu uh, has a crescent symbol placed on top of the register of gods because the moon god was the head of gods. Even uh, bread was baked in the form of a crescent as an act of devotion to the moon god. The year of the Chaldees was so devoted to the moon god that it was sometimes called Nanar and tablets from that time period. A temple of the moon god has been excavated in Ur by Sir Leonard Woolley. He dug up many examples of moon worship in Ur, and these are displayed in the British Museum to this day. Heron was likewise noted for its devotion to the moon god. In the 1950s, a major temple of the moon god was excavated at Hazur in Palestine. Two idols of the moon god were found. Each was a stature of a man sitting upright in a throne with a crescent moon carved in his chest. The accompanying inscriptions make it clear that these were idols of the moon god. Several smaller statues were also found which were identified by their inscriptions as the daughters of the moon god. What about Arabia? As pointed out by Professor Kuhn, uh, and this is a uh, quote, Muslims are notoriously loth to preserve tradition of earlier paganism and like to uh, gravel what pre-Islamic history they permit to survive in anarchistic and anachronistic terms, excuse me. Like I said, when it's more than two or three syllables, my tongue will not move. Um, during the 19th century, uh, Ahmad, 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 that's why Ahmad, uh, Halabi, and 
Glesnar were in the southern Arabia, were to southern Arabia, and dug up thousands of Sabian. Um, I, I apologize once again. You know, part of this whole history, the journey of history, is going to places that don't speak English <laughs> or American English, at least American commoner English. <laughs> Minain uh, and Quetabanium uh, inscriptions, which were subsequently translated. In the 1940s, the archaeologist G. Canton Thompson and the Carleton S. Kuhn and Carleton S. Kuhn uh, made some amazing discoveries in Arabia during the 1950s. Weldon Phillips, W.F. Albright, Richard Bauer, and other others excavated a site at Quatabban, uh, uh, Timnah, and Marib, the ancient capital of Sheba. Thousands of inscriptions from the walls and rocks in the northern Arabia have also been collected. Release in um, in votive bowls used in worship of the daughters of Allah have also been discovered. The three daughters, Alet, Al Uza, and Menet, are sometimes depicted together with Allah, the moon god, representing represented by a crescent moon above them. The archaeological evidence demonstrates that the dominant religion of Arabia was the cult of the moon god. In Old Testament times, Nabonidus, from 555 to 539 BC, the last king of Babylon, built Tema, Arabia, as a center of the moon god worship. Seagull states, Southern Arabia's stellar religion has always been dominated by the moon god in various variations. Many scholars have also noticed that the moon god named Sin is a part of such Arabic Arabic words as Sinai, Sinai uh, the wilderness of Sin, etc., when the popularity of the moon god waned elsewhere, the Arabs remained true to their conviction that the moon god was the greatest of all gods. While they worshipped 360 gods at the Kaaba, in, in order to be spelled Kaaba in Mecca, the moon god was the chief deity. Mecca was the fact was in fact built as a shrine to, for the moon god. This is what made it the most sacred site of Arabian paganism. In the 1940s, G. Canton Thompson revealed in her book the tombs in the moon temple of Herida. I'm going to say it's Hered. Hereda, Hereda, 
that she had uncomforted a temple of the moon god in southern Arabia. The symbols of the crescent moon and no less than 21 inscriptions with the name Sin were found in this temple. An idol, which may be the moon god himself, was also discovered. This also this was later confirmed by other well-known archaeologists. <clears throat> the evidence reveals that the temple of the moon god was active even in the Christian era. Evidence gathered from both the North and South Arabia demonstrates that moon god worship was clearly active even in Muhammad's day and was still the dominant cult. According to numerous inscriptions, while the name of the moon god was Sin, his title was Al-Ilha, i.e. the deity, meaning that he was the chief or the high god among the gods. As Kuhn pointed out, the god Tutil, excuse me, the god Il or Ilha was originally a phase of the moon god. The moon god was called Al-Ilha, i.e. the god, which was shortened to Allah. And pre-Islamic times, the pagan Arabs even used Allah and the, the names they gave to their children. For example, both Muhammad's father and uncle had Allah as part of their names. The fact that they were given such names by their pagan parents proves that Allah was the title of the moon god even in Muhammad's day. Uh, Professor Kuhn goes on to say, similarly, under the Muhammad's tutelage, the relatively anonymous Ilah became Al-Ilah, the God, or Allah, the Supreme Being. It's amazing our pagan roots, you know what I mean? doesn't matter what, where you come from, what side. You know, it could be Arabs, it could be the Romans, it could be the Africans, it could be Native Americans, it could be uh, India. You know, it's what the heck? Are we going? Are we going back to that? You think is this all part of the agenda too? Let's bring us back. Bring them back to the pagans. You know, the paganism. You know, I don't know. I really don't know the answer to that question. At least not at this moment. This fact answers the question, why is Allah never defined in the Quran? Why did Muhammad assume that the pagan Arabs already knew who Allah was? Muhammad was raised in the religion of the moon god Allah. But he went uh, went one step further than his fellow pagan Arabs. While they believed in Allah, i.e. the moon god, was the greatest of all gods and the supreme deity of the pantheon of deities, Muhammad decided that Allah was not only the greatest god, but the only god. (laughs) 
I find this fascinating, especially when you look at Freemason symbology, the two pillars in one, uh, the sun's hovering, the other one is the crescent moon, and how, you know, it's clear what they want to do. They want to blend these two major religions. And, you know, the pagan Christianity known as Roman Catholicism with Islam, and they they really do want to do this. I mean, it's obvious. It's one of their goals creating their one world religion and their one world order is just that. And of course, this is for the masses. Especially those who are left out and uh, who are not going to be the ruling elite. you got to give them something, right? And there's nothing like man-made religion to give it to them. To give to them. And it keeps our minds occupied in what's really going on in the world, doesn't it? In effect, he said, look, you already believe that the moon god Allah is the greatest of all gods. All I want you to do is to accept that the idea that he is the only god. I am not taking away Allah, the Allah you already worship. I am only taking away his wife and his daughters and all the other gods. This is seen from the fact that first point of Muslim creed is not Allah is great, but Allah is the greatest, i.e., he is the greatest among the gods. Why would a Muhammad say that Allah is the greatest, except in a uh, polytheistic context? The Arabic word is used to contrast the greater from the lesser. That is true that is true is seen that this is true is seen from the fact that the pagan Arabs could uh, never accuse Muhammad of preaching a different Allah than the one they already worship. The Allah was the moon god according to the Archaeological evidence, Muhammad thus attempted to have it both both ways. To the pagans, he said that he still believed in the moon god Allah. To the Jews and the Christians, he said Allah is their god too. But both the Jews and the Christians knew better, and that is why they rejected the god Allah as a false god. Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda, kinda, there's Al-Qaeda. No, sorry about that, I just had a thought. Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda, that's what it's, Al-Qaeda, one of the early Christian apologists against Islam, pointed out that that Islam and its God, Allah, did not come from the Bible, but from the paganism of Sabian. Uh, From the Sabians, okay. This one, another one is hard to read because it's got this blue background and a funky text, so I wish people wouldn't do that. And I know they try to, they do make it different to somehow thinking that they can make it more attractive for people to read, but unfortunately, when you got like all sorts of scribble and maps and stuff under the um, the text, it actually makes it very difficult to read. 
<laughs> Especially if they're the same color. <clears throat> Anyways, we shall continue on the best we can. They did not worship the god of the bow, but the moon god and his daughter, al Alat and Manette. Dr. Newman concludes his study of the early Christian Muslims debate, debates by stating, quote, Islam proved itself to be a separate and antagonistic, antagonistic excuse me, religion which had sprung up from idolatry. Islamic scholar Caesar Farah concluded there is no reason, therefore, to accept the idea that Allah passed to the Muslims from the Christians and the Jews. And, um, the Arabs worship the moon god as a supreme deity, but this was not biblical monotheism. Excuse me. Man, it's hard to read. While the moon god was greater than all other gods and goddesses, this was still a polytheistic uh, pantheon of deities. Okay. <clears throat> now that we have the actual idols of the moon god, it is no longer possible to avoid the fact that Allah was a pagan god and uh, pre-Islamic times, is it any wonder then that the symbol of Islam is the crescent moon? That a crescent moon sits on top of their mosque and um, minarets? You know, and by the way, if you look at the new One World Trade Center, there's a minaret on top of that. By the way, did you know that they built that? That's been finished. Um, I don't know if uh, the television was making a big deal about it, but I noticed on the Internet, and uh, not much being said at all. There was a few people saying stuff, but as far as news, news outlets, hardly anything was... You think, you know, between them capturing bin Laden and then um, rebuilding the world, One World Trade Center, that they would make a big deal about both those things, and neither one of them they did. That's something to think about. Why did they not make such a big deal about it? You would think, with all the things that we've gone through in the past, uh, what now going on, 14 years, uh, almost, that, you know, you think that they would have a ticket, ticket tape parade, and they would have all sorts of big, they make a big deal about it. And they didn't. What on earth is going on? Okay. Where to go? Okay, so it, uh, there's no reason for, therefore, to accept the idea that Allah passed to the Muslims from the Christians and the Jews. The Arabs worship the moon god as a supreme deity, but this was not biblical monotheism. While the moon god was greater than all the other gods and goddesses, this was still polyistic, polytheistic pantheon 
of deities. I can only just read this, but I'm reading it again. Now that we have the actual um, idols of the moon god, it is no longer possible to avoid the fact that Allah was a pagan god uh, pre-Islamic times. It is, it's any wonder that the, and the symbol of Islam is the crescent moon, the crescent moon sits on top of uh, their mosque and minarets, and that the crescent moon is found on the flags of Islamic nations, and other nations too, by the way, doesn't it? Uh, and that the Muslim fasts fast during the months which begins and ends, with the appearance of the crescent moon in the sky. It's one thing I guys give have a to man. They're very, very much, um, what's the word? Passionate? That's not the right word. But they're very uh, committed to their religion. Just like devout Catholics are. These two groups of people are very committed to their religion. Um, You know, as Bible-believing Christians, we imagine we can learn a lesson too about that, one way or the other. Um, but instead of us being committed to our religion, be committed to our God. That's the difference. Uh, the word Allah comes from the compound Arabic word Al-Il-Ah. Al is the definite article, the, il-ah, is the Arabic word for God, i.e. the God. We see immediately that, A, this is not a proper name, but a generic name, rather like the Hebrew El, which, as we have seen, was used for any deity, and B, Allah is not a foreign word as it would have been if it had been borrowed from the Hebrew Bible. But Allah is purely an Arabic word used exclusively in reference to all Arabic deity. To an Arabic deity, excuse me. The Encyclopedia of Religion says Allah is a pre-Islamic name corresponding to the Babylonian Bell um, Ed James Hastings, Edinburgh T and T Clark, 1908. Um, I know that Muslims will find this hard to believe, so I am now getting are going to make many citations and present the archaeological evidence to prove conclusively that is conclusively that is true. Though this data will be painful for many of our readers, and not only that, it's not just the data, it's really painful to read because of the background, man. It's just too much background noise behind, you know. It is necessary, especially when you're trying to read language that you're not familiar with, and it is necessary to face the truth. Facts are facts. Unless you are willing to to desert all logic, reason, and common sense, the evidence for your eyes, you must be, they must be faced. Allah is found in Arabic inscriptions prior to Islam. Encyclopedia Britannica, 
and this is like one colon or semicolon uh, six four three I think uh, Arabs before the time of Muhammad accepted and worshipped uh, after a fashion a supreme god called Allah Encyclopedia of Islam um, Hostman Arnold Bassett Hartman lead in E.J. Brill, 1913. Uh, Allah was known to the pre-Islamic Arabs. He was one of the Meccan, Meccan, that's like Mecca, I guess the person who was from, or from Mecca, Meccan deities, Encyclopedia of Islam, E.E. Gibbs, this is like uh, 1406. Allah appears in pre Islamic pottery by frequently, by frequency of use. Al Allah was contracted to Allah frequently, attested to in pre Islamic pottery, Encyclopedia of Islam. Uh, 1971. Uh, the name Allah goes back before Muhammad. Encyclopedia of World Mythology and Legend. Facts on the file. Anthony Marconetti, New York, 1983. Uh, the origin of this Allah goes back to pre-Muslim times. Allah is not a common name meaning God or a God and the Muslims must use e, must use another word or form from or form if he wishes to indicate any other than his own peculiar deity. Encyclopedia of Religion and Ethics. Uh, James Hastings, Edinburgh, T N T Clark. 1908. Page, uh, I think this is page uh, 326. Sc uh, scholar Henry Preserved Smith of, what the heck of a middle name, Preserved Smith of Harvard University states, quote, Allah is already known, was already known by named by name to the Arabs. The Bible and Islam or the influence of the Old and New Testament on religion of Muhammad. Uh, New York. Charles Scribner's Son, 1897, page 102. How's come all the good research comes from like 100 years ago? What's up with that? It's like uh, anything that's like past... Like you know, hundred and nineteen forty or whatever, it just seems to it slowly diminished in its quality. Am I wrong about that? Maybe I'm wrong about that, but it seems to be that way. It seems to today we're more serious about scholarly endeavors a hundred years ago than they are today. Did that have something to do with the Jesuits? Doctor Kenneth Craig, former editor of the 
prestigious scholarly journal, Muslim World, and an outstanding modern Western Islamic scholar whose work were generally published by Oxford University comments. And the name Allah is also evident in archaeological and literary remains of pre-Islamic Arabia. The Call of the Minaret, New York, OUP, 1956, page 31. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Dr. W. Montgomery Watts, who was professor of Arabic and Islamic studies in Edinburgh University and visiting professor of Islamic studies at College of de France, Georgetown University and the University of Toronto, has done extensive work on the pre-Islamic concept of Allah. He concludes, In recent years, I have become increasingly convinced that for an adequate understanding of the career of Muhammad and the origins of Islam, great importance must be attached to the existence of Mecca, of belief of Allah as a high God. In a sense, this is a form of paganism, but it is so different from paganism as commonly understood that it deserves separate treatment. Muhammad's Mecca. Uh, looks like page uh, Roman numeral 12, I guess, or no, 7. See also his article, Beliefs in a High God in Pre-Islamic Mecca, Journal of Scientific Semantic Studies, Volume 16, 1971, pages 35 through 40. Caesar Farah, in his book on Islam, concludes his discussion on pre-Islamic meaning of Allah by saying, there is no reason, therefore, to accept the idea that Allah passed to Muslims from the Christians and Jews. And, of course, we already looked at something. I think we already read that. I wonder why I brought that up again. Um, uh, and, of course, Islam, the beliefs and observations, New York, Barron's, 1987, page 28. Maybe this is from a different reference source, but the same reference source. I guess a different book. Anyways, according to Middle East scholars E.M. Worry, who translation of the Quran is still used today in pre-Islamic times, Allah worship as well as the worship of Baal were both astral religions, and that they involved the worship of the sun, the moon, and the stars, a comprehensive commentary on the Quran. This is Osnan Brooks, Otto Ziller, Verglad, 1973, page 36. Quotes, um, ancient Arabia, the sun god, was viewed as a female goddess and the moon as a male god as has been pointed out by many scholars, as Alfred uh, Galumi, the moon god was called by various names, one of which is Allah. Opsite Islam, page 7. 
The name Allah was used. How did this happen? It cannot be just popping up. It just that cannot be. That cannot be. Okay, let's see what's going on here. Get that and get that. The name Allah was used as a personal name of the moon god in addition to other titles that could be given to him. Allah, the moon god, was married to the sun goddess. Together they produced three goddesses who were called the daughters of Allah. These three goddesses are called Alet, al Menet. Armanat. The daughters of Allah, along with Allah and the sun goddess, were viewed as high gods. That is, they were viewed uh, as being uh, at the top of the pantheon of Arabian deities. Robert Moray, The Islamic Invasion, Eugene, Oregon, Harvest House Publishers, 1977, uh, pages 50 to 51. The Encyclopedia of World Myths and Legends records, along with Allah, however, They worshipped a host of lesser gods and daughters of Allah. Opsite, page 61. It is a well-known fact that archaeologically speaking that the crescent moon was the symbol of worship of the moon god both in Arabia and throughout the Middle East in pre-Islamic times. The archaeologists have excavated numerous statues and hieroglyphic inscriptions in which the crescent moon was seated on top of the head of deity of the deity to symbolize the worship of the moon god. Interestingly, whilst the moon was generally worshipped as a female deity in the ancient Near East, the Arabs viewed it as a male deity. In Mesopotamia, in Sumer- the Sumerian god Nena, named Sin by the Akkadians, was worshipped in particular in Ur, where he was the chief god of the city and also the city of Haran in Syria, which had close religious links to Ur. The Ugaritic language uh, have shown that there show that there was that sh- has have shown that there a moon deity was worshipped. Okay. That there is talking about this place, right here, and that there uh, a moon god a deity was worshipped under the name of YRH. Here again, I don't know, something like that. Here. On the monuments of God is represented by the symbols of the crescent moon. It has our in Palestine a small Canaanite shrine. In the late Bronze Age was discovered, which contained a basalt seal depicting two hands lifting, lifted as if in prayer to a crescent moon, indicating that the shrine was dedicated to the moon god. The worship of Seller deities instead of Yahweh was always a temptation faced by the Israelites. But Yahweh is the zenith of 
is at the zenith of the heavens, Job 22.12. The, I'm trying to think if I want to stop right here. Yeah, I think I'm going to stop. A lot of information, and uh, I don't know. Should I stop and see where far we go on here? Yeah, maybe I'll. Maybe I will keep going. The Kurash tribe into which Muhammad was born was particularly. Particularly devoted to Allah, the moon god, and especially Allah's three daughters, who were viewed as intercessors between the people and Allah. The worship of the three goddesses, Alet, Al Uzza, and Manet, played a significant role in the worship at Kaaba, or Kaaba, in Mecca. The first two daughters of Allah had names which were feminine forms of Allah. You know, thought just ran across my head. Now, the pragmatic and necessity of actually creating this religion, too. So, outside of what Albert Rivera says, Alberto Rivera, um, could it also be a natural consequence, too? I mean, by now, we're talking, what, the... 600 uh, AD, 700 AD range. There had been significant enough time. We're talking a thousand years of interaction with Rome, uh, of the, the Bedouins and the Arabians and the and the Arabic tribes, and of a realization that they needed to create a religion of some kind of defense against what they were up against. It's just a thought. I'm not saying that is the case. I'm just bringing it up. I mean, but it seems logical to me if you were at war with such a brutal system as in the Roman Empire um, that you would counteract that with a brutal, your own version of a brutal system. A religious system that uh, was willing to go the full mile as Rome will, you know, and forcing uh, its will on the populace. So, and it was one of those uh, natural, instinctive response. I'm not taking away at all from anything that the influence of Satan might have had on all this, but I'm just simply saying, if you look at it, it's done in human level this need to counteract the aggression of Rome and that this certainly came to a point when it's like, well, we better find a way to unify ourselves. And religion has always been a powerful way, in particular man-made religion that's full of traditions and idolatry and superstition as a powerful way to unite people. And you may argue that it's different, and it's not. we're in a different day and age, but really, are we? I mean, you look at everything that's on the television, the movie theater, it's all about superstition and fables and fairy tales. And yeah, there's the old, you know, predictive programming thing going on as well. But, you know, that's all part, of, it's all a religious principle in itself. Something that's practiced by the priest class for many, 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 many years. So, 
I don't know. Something to think about. Uh, the literal Arabic name of the Muhammad's father was uh, um, Abd Allah. His uncle's name was uh, Bid, Abid Allah. Uh, these names reveal the personal devotion of Muhammad's pagan family that had the worship of Allah, the Mon God. And this is Maury, page uh, 51, upside. Maury, page 51. History proves conclusively that before Islam came into existence, the Sabians of in Arabia worshipped the moon god Allah, who was married to the sun goddess. We have also seen that it was a matter of common practice to use the name of the moon god in personal names of Muhammad's tribes. That Allah was a pagan deity in pre-Islamic times is incontestable, incontestable, excuse me, and so we must ask ourselves the question, why was Muhammad's God named after a pagan deity in his own tribe? It is an undeniable fact that an Allah idol has set up in the Kaaba along with all the other idols of the time. The pagans prayed towards Mecca and the Kaaba because that is where their gods were stationed. It made sense to them to face in the direction of their god and pray since that is where he was since the idol of their moon god, Allah, was at Mecca, they prayed towards Mecca. And I'm glad that it's, uh, the, my god, you don't have to worry really about what direction you pray, although, you know, I, to be honest, I bought into this whole thing about praying to the east because it was said in the Bible about them praying to the east, but I think that was a little different situation than you and I. You know, if we just pray, we're praying. God's everywhere. So we can pray going east, west, north, south, whatever. So, I um, mean, the thing is, when it comes to praying these, just don't make it a habit of praying to these. You know what I mean? If that's what you're concerned about, God is everywhere. He's big. You know, you can pray southeast corner or then northwest corner or, you know, you can play, pray laying down or standing up or kneeling. You know what I mean? God is everywhere. So... Uh-huh. So he is. And where were we at? Okay. As we have seen and as is acknowledged amongst all the scholars of the Middle Eastern religious history, the worship of the moon god extended far beyond Allah worship in Arabia. The entire Fertile Crescent was involved in moon worship. The data uh, falls neatly in place, and we are able, therefore, to understand, in part, the early success Islam had amongst Arab groups that had traditionally worshipped Alec, the moon god, who can also, we can also understand that the use of the crescent moon as a symbol for Islam, which appears a dozen on dozens of flags in Islamic nations in Asia and Africa and surmount and surmounts in minarets and mosque roofs. 
is a throwback of the days of Allah, was worshipped as a moon god in Mecca. Educated Muslims understand these facts only too well, better, in fact, than most Christians. Robert Murray recalls a conversation he once had. Anyways, that might be a good place to stop. I don't know, maybe what I'll do is, instead of stopping, what I'll do is I'll play another video if I can pull it off. And uh, maybe if I take a little break, I come back and I'll, I wouldn't mind finishing the reading. Maybe it's too much to endure, I don't know. It's probably, I'm sure it's too much to endure just listening to me. Yeah, it's not good. Let's just we'll call it a night. It's almost one in the morning, so maybe I'll have enough time to do another one tomorrow. Uh, I had no idea how intensive this study would be. I was hoping that I would be one of those things I could do, you know, eight or nine episodes. Obviously, this is not going to happen in eight or nine. So. But I really want to at least plug away, get what I've already planned to have done, uh, get this all done and before I get back to all the other things I need to get back to, because there's so many other things to get back to. So and it's like, what do you do? Where's the direction you go? It's so easy. The information is overwhelming, isn't it? The amount of things to think about, to study and to figure out. And... Uh, Uh, you know, it's it's great if somebody you know has the capacity to stay on track in a one, you know, in a one-dimensional as far as their approach. But um, uh, it's not it's not my it's not my personality. If I had to do the same thing over and over again, it would start feeling too much like religion. <laughs> so. Anyways, I uh, hope anybody listens to the enjoy it. We get back. Well, next time we do one of these, uh, we will finish up Allah, the Moon God, and then um, I'll go from there. All right, bye. Lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?" Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.